My name is Pedro Mujabafid, and we at TMC aim to discuss and inform students regarding topics which aren't covered well in medical school. This interview series is aimed at answering the questions that medical students, interns, and doctors-to-be have regarding the various career pathways for medical graduates. Now, the views and opinions expressed here are purely personal and are not reflective or representative of the stance of any employer, college, medical service, endorsement, or other person. All right, let's start the show. Hi everyone, today we're discussing general surgery with Mr. Yahya Al-Habal, who is a general surgical fellow. Hi Yahya, thanks for joining us. That's alright, thank you very much. Can you start by telling us a little bit about your journey and where, where you've gone since medical school? Okay, so uh, I started medical school back in Iraq in 1995 actually. And uh, in Iraq, we do six years of, of, of medical school and two years of internship. So I finished my, my medical school back in 2001, 2002, and then went to my internship for two years. And then I had one year of, of, of basic surgical training before leaving Iraq in 2004 and settling in, in Dubai for a few years. Uh, then from Dubai, I migrated here to Australia to uh, get into the Austin, one of one of my favorite places that I worked in in in, Austin, in Melbourne. It's actually the Austin Hospital, uh, and with their help and support, I got into onto the surgical training program and finished it last year. And this is my first year as a surgical fellow in the branch of like general surgery in, at Box Hill Hospital. Besides Austin Hospital, are there any other hospitals that you've worked at? Besides, sorry, Austin and Box Hill? Oh, yes. I mean, Austin Hospital was like my hometown, my, like the base uh, that I used to go to other places from. So I've always been with them, but they have a wide hub. So uh, other hospitals that I've worked in in Victoria, uh, places like the Northern Hospital, uh, Shepparton, Bendigo, Hamilton... And in Tasmania, I've been to. I, I was rostered to do a few months in in Launceston and Burnie, and I was sent to Al Springs to do six months in Al Springs, also from the the Austin Hospital. So these are like peripheral rotation that we do, starting from the Austin. Is that uh, something that the general surgical program wants you to do, or is that more than what the Austin prescribed? So this is this is something. Um, so any, any, any extra rotation for any training hub is actually a win for them. So the hospitals with more varieties or more places is more favorable for surgical trainees. Uh, for example, I mean, you, you could imagine, you know, like if you have varieties of places with a lot of subspecialties to work in, it would be better than like getting stuck for five years in one place. Um, the college doesn't impose on you to, to go to that many places. For example, Boxy Hospital have only uh, one peripheral rotation going to Bendigo. Uh, it's a smaller hub compared to the Austin. What I what I see, you know, like you work with multiple bosses, multiple surgeons in in more than one place. You get experience from every single one of them, and then you build your own, you know, surgical personality depending on on these rotations. It's it's advisable, but not a must. 
And I would imagine going to these peripheral sites, you would have had a lot more autonomy um, uh, working as compared to a larger tertiary hospital where everything is a lot more specialized. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you get get, uh, more experience and more exposure to cases within general surgery and cases actually within surgery in general. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, if you go to a place like Bendigo, you deal with with vascular cases. You know, like if, if you have a patient with ruptured aortic aneurysm uh, in the city hospital they usually go to the vascular team to deal with while you're working in in Bendigo you deal with these cases so you have more exposure and that sometimes can be an eye-opening experience you might like that surgery more than your subspecialty and I, I know a couple of, of other uh, registrars who you know when they worked in these places they changed their mind about you know being general surgeons and they went to do some other subspecialties and they're happy on the other hand, you know, like working in a place like Alice Springs, you don't have any other subspecialty. So you are this, you are the general surgeon, you are the vascular surgeon, you are the plastic surgeon. So you could you could be taking gallbladders and appendixes on one day, and on the second day you're opening an artery, which is a blocked, or you're joining two two different arteries, like two different uh, trauma, traumatized artery, and on the third day you could be. Uh, you could you could be doing skin grafts mm-hmm. as a plastic surgeon, so that's 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 actually very good compared to other places. Yeah, definitely. I mean, sometimes it can be frustrating because there's lots of things that you don't know, but you get exposed for the first time. But it definitely teaches teach you something. Did you find you had enough support in those peripheral sites? Given that, for example, you might it might have been your first time doing a vascular surgery. Uh, yeah, definitely there's support. I mean, you won't be operating on things that you don't know and you don't feel comfortable with for the first time on your own. There are very reasonable consultants out there and they would be taking your hand, you know. They would definitely be operating with you for mm-hmm. the first time for these these things. You know, triple I doesn't happen that frequently. So definitely everybody will be around. For example, like skinny grafts. Um, before going to Alt Springs, I haven't done many skinny grafts. So the first time, or the second time the consultant came with me and then I was doing them by myself mm. with him mm. in theater and, and then later on he he was not around. Is it your wish to go back to one of these peripheral sites to practice once you finish your fellowship or do you prefer the metropolitan centers? If it was my decision, I would have gone to peripheral place and practiced the true general surgery. In in city settings, you don't have true general surgery. It's, it's more subspecialized. But in, in like the, my fam- the presence of a family and other commitments, you might not have the decision solely based on your on your wishes. Of course. Was there anything else you ever considered besides general surgery as a specialty when you were going through medical school in your junior doctor years? Yeah, so look, um, when I was a medical student, I was tossing between surgery and, and medicine. Yeah, I didn't make up my mind from medical school. My first rotation was a medical rotation, and I was always told that you guys end doing the first rotation you do as an intern, you know. But my first rotation was medical. I, I did general medicine first, and you know, so patients getting admitted, treated, and then getting discharged after a week or two with some improvement. And then my second rotation, we do six months, you know, like my medical rotation was six months, and then the next six months was surgical rotation and then six months of obsgyny and six months of, of pediatric slash pediatric surgery. So my second rotation was surgical, and you could see surgical patient getting admitted and discharged within two, three days, and they get better very quickly. And 
that field entails also some some hand skills and that's really uh, what I used to enjoy you know as as uh, as a junior as as a child initially and as a junior uh, medical student and and also as an intern so yeah I mean I enjoy the uh, manual work of, of the surgery I enjoy seeing patients getting better but don't get me wrong I mean initially when I chose to be a surgeon as a as a uh, as an intern when I left Iraq in 2004, I had only one year under my wing of general surgical experience. I couldn't find a surgical job in Dubai, so I ended doing emergency medicine in Dubai for three years. Mm-hmm. And I was enjoying it also. And applied for jobs in Australia and got two different jobs. One of them was a, was a surgical job at the Austin, and the second one was uh, an emergency CM or career medical officer in New South Wales much better paid uh, and at that time I had to make the decision whether I want to pursue my dreams of, of being a surgeon or or like you know like do what I'm doing which is you know it's still enjoyable the emergency medicine so at that point uh, I did ask a few friends it got help from my wife and 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 more medical people in my family and the advice was, you know, you like surgery, you've been good at it, so why don't you just pursue doing it? Uh, so, yeah, I came to the Austin, and I'm not regretting that, actually. That's really good. So yeah. it's interesting to see that crossroad and the uh, factors that went into making that decision, because it would have been a very big decision, and I imagine your life would have been completely different had you gone the other way. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It's As I said, you know, like, I enjoyed emergency medicine. I didn't, like, dislike it, so I, I could still imagine myself doing that for the rest of my life but you know tossing between these two options what do i like more you know definitely i mean the surgical, surgical choice yeah wonderful make sure to keep in touch with us through social media our handle is at the med collab that's t-h-e-m-e-d-c-o-l-l-a-b on facebook twitter and instagram you can also subscribe to our podcast for our weekly release now back to the show. How competitive would you say general surgery is to get into at the moment? Uh, in my opinion, uh, every single branch of, of medicine or surgery is still competitive. It depends on how much you like to do that, that subspecialty or that, that branch. You know, like if, if you're ready to, uh, to invest time and efforts in getting into, sub, into any subspecialty, you'll get it. It, you always get the impression from different people it's difficult to get into for example neurosurgery or difficult to get into plastics are you happy to invest two or three years building your CV and experience and relationship to get into that subspecialty so if the answer is yes then everything is, dif- is easy for you if the answer is no then it's difficult okay mm-hmm. so uh, yes it's it's not I think out of a thousand applicants the college ends choosing hundred so 10% of people like showing interest initially will get into the surgical training program I'm talking about the number of people applying to set getting rejected from from the beginning based on their CV and then getting rejected the second time depending on the referees and getting rejected the third time depending on the interview that they give uh, yes yeah, so it's usually like 10 to 20 percent of people applying to the program but you know, um, for, for you, for example, if you wanted to apply for the surgical program, 
you would you would like to invest your time and your efforts in improving your CV, getting more publications, working with with different surgeons, uh, showing showing that you're interested in that and winning them as as a as a referee or as referees, then you can get it. It's not it's not difficult. Mm. So for someone who I guess doesn't really have that hasn't found that particular passion yet, and often you would find that maybe junior doctors or medical students haven't really found that passion yet. What would be your recommendation um, for you to be able to find that? So keep an open mind. Don't get uh, drifted or like pushed away by what people say. Try it yourself. You know, like uh, it's, it's very, it's very um, premature for an intern to decide from the first or second rotation what they want to do. If they want to do surgery, give it the full throttle, you know, like work, work hard, see what, what does it mean to, to be in the hospital from 6, 7 o'clock in the morning to 6, 7 o'clock in the evening. Uh, see your registrars and consultants and ask them about their lifestyle. And then, you know, put, put these, all this information in mind while you do other, other rotations. And by the end of your year, you will be able to choose what you want to do. It's not, it's not completely wrong in doing one year of general HMO rotation if the intern or if, if you haven't made your mind by the end of your, your internship year. I think we, we were a bit more privileged back in Iraq by doing two years of internship. So you would be sure by the end of these two years yeah. what you want to do definitely. Mm-hmm. As a junior doctor, you would often find, for example, if you are going into surgery or you have surgical rotations, you're kind of, I guess, stuck doing a lot of the paperwork, a lot of the ward work, and you may not get a sense of what the surgical specialty is actually like, even though you're on a surgical specialty. Would you say that's the case, and how would you get around that? So, look, I have, I have seen two types of, of interns, and I have seen two types of hospitals dealing with these issues. I have seen interns really keen to come to theatre. So one of my interns used to come 30 minutes or 40 minutes before I would come in, sort out all the word rounds paper, like leaving a couple of blank places for, for her to fill in, to be able to come with me to theatre and help me with my list. While on the other hand, you would see an intern just doing their job. That's fine. It's not, you're not criticising them, but they're not going above and beyond to get to theatre. That's fine. You know, I can get a student to help me. I can get somebody else to help me. But that specific intern has lost that place. This is this is a problem. It's it's. I don't want to blame the interns for that. But this is you know like two types of personalities. Mm-hmm. And on 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 other rotations I've been with, and I have reported uh, that to the senior surgeons or the responsible person of of that unit. Uh, you would get you get a very busy unit with with uh, like underpopulated staff. You know, one intern covering twenty or thirty patients. Yeah. And it's not fair for them to, to do all this work and expect it to come to theatre. So I think interns in such a situation should raise the issue with the registrar or even the head of the unit, the surgeon, of saying, look, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm terribly busy here and I'm interested to come down and see what you guys are doing downstairs. Uh, so I need help. You know, you get me another HMO yeah. or another intern to help me. To so speak up. Don't Absolutely. be afraid to speak yeah, up. Cause, uh, yeah, because often people yeah. can be intimidated to speak up because they don't want to either appear to be weak or appear that they aren't able to cope. Often yeah. there can be a feeling that you and other people have coped in your situation. Why aren't you coping? But it's yeah, really look, good I to mean, I mean they, 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 like they can say they're coping. It's not like you know they're not doing their job. They're not uh, underperforming, but they want to come down and see what, what is being done in theatre. 
Yeah. So this is a surgical rotation for an intern to come in and fill in paperwork and go home and for three months without coming down to... Th- this is not a surgical rotation, basically. Yeah. You can't mm-hmm. base uh, your opinion on surgery based on just doing paperwork on the ward. Of course. What does your typical day involve at the moment? So... Uh, this job is not terribly busy. My, my job is, is more or less uh, relaxed compared to um, probably other fellows or other registrars' jobs. But, for example, today, uh, so we come in the morning, we come like 7.30, quarter to 8. We do a, a world round. We see the patient that we have operated on the day before and the, post-op- and the pre-operative patients also expected to come down to theater. By uh, 8, 8.15, we would go to theater, and 8.30, we would start our first case. Today, we did two operations. We did, did a laparoscopic cholecystectomy and a laparoscopic appendicectomy. And by midday, we had medical students. So, I took a couple of medical students to see patients on the ward. And in the afternoon, uh, we have the clinic. We've just finished the clinic. My registrar and I uh, run through about 14 patients in the clinic mm-hmm. so that's that's more or less like a typical day of, of what we're gonna do most of the times we would catch up with my registrar or, or the intern of the ward before we go home just to make sure that uh, critical patients are, are stable and make a quick paper round and then go home how has uh, your role changed going from registrar to fellow so what was your typical day like as a registrar was it much different or was it much the same no, it's definitely, it's, it's, it's different. Um, as a registrar, I would be busier, actually. Training in general, you would be busier as a trainee than when you finish your training. As a registrar, back at the Austin, for example, in a busy unit, you would come like 6.30, start your word round. By 7.30, you would have a meeting uh, with the consultants around. Like you would have teaching also from 7.30 to 8.00. By 8 o'clock, you would go down, see the patients before theater, consent them if they're not consented, and mark their site of operation. These are, you know, like you would expect the, any registrar to do that, these mm-hmm. basic things. And then uh, come to theater, operate the morning list, and there would be an afternoon list. You would have a break in between these two lists to have a quick lunch. And you would possibly finish by 5, 5.30, 6 o'clock. Sometimes you would be on call, so you have to stay till the evening, maybe 8, 8 or 9, depends on the place. Uh, you would be on call maybe once or twice per week and once or twice uh, weekends in a month, month's time. Um, yeah, that's that's usually as a registrar, you will, you will be busier. A lot and you busy. would have, you know, And you would have, you know, like commitments back home and you would have some study expected from you, you know, you don't expect registrar to be coming blank with no idea on the operation that they're, they're doing was it difficult for you to balance uh working and studying for the for your final exams it is a bit of a challenge but i think i did it uh, i started studying early for the exam so i gave myself good one and a half year to prepare for my final exam mm-hmm. i knew that you know I, I couldn't do it in six months or even a year uh, so a couple of my friends and I, we sat down and had our schedule to study for the exam. And having a study group is usually... I mean, I, I've never had any study group before this exam. But this one, you know, it was really helpful. 
What would you say is the most rewarding part about your specialty? Well, seeing patients leaving the hospital, well, this is basically everything. And again, seeing them coming to the clinic after you've fixed their problem is, is the most rewarding thing. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the financial part of, the, of, of being a doctor is, you know, would, would allow you to live a comfortable life. Uh, but definitely, you know, like seeing patient getting better is, is way more rewarding than it. And conversely, what's the most difficult part about your specialty? Having a complication. Usually, you know, you're, as, as a trainee, as a surgical trainee, you're advised not to take your patients with you back home, you know, like you keep thinking of them going back home and thinking of what you have done. I think as a surgeon, you can't do that, you know, because these patients are your patients and, you know, you're expected to deal with complications and everything and you're on the top of the pyramid, you know, like you're the point of contact. So it doesn't matter whether you're on call or not, the patient that you operated on, if you're not on call today, they're still your patient, you're still going to be called about them. And, you know, having a complication and you think of that complication every now and then is, uh, is one, of, one of the taxes that you have to pay being a surgeon. Sometimes with the presence of electronic and remote access, that can interrupt your life. You know, if, even if you're not expected to have a look at the patient's blood test or CT scans or things, you would still jump on the computer and, and have a look of what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, and that can, can interrupt your social life. Did you find that uh, this burden, I guess, of potentially having complications and worrying about your patients, does that affect you mentally? How do you, how do you handle that? The easiest way, well, I, I think admitting that you have a, a, you know, a problem, you know, admitting that you had a complication, uh, trying to, uh, to fix it in the best way, consulting other doctors and discussing the matter with, uh, with other surgeons, with, with your, you know, your bosses, ex-bosses, with your supervisors, you know, people trained you to be a surgeon, and with, with your uh, fellows, with your, uh, you know, like peers. That would be, that would lift a lot of burden from your shoulders, definitely. I think I agree. I think it's uh, oftentimes as a doctor, you can have the feeling that you can't make mistakes or that you are Superman or yeah. whatever, but uh, realizing that everyone makes mistakes and oftentimes the patients are uh, okay as long as you've explained it to them and they know what's going on, um, but just not beating yourself up over it because everyone will make a mistake once or twice in their life. Yeah, I mean, it has always been told to us that the only way of not having a complication is to stop doing surgeries. Yeah. Where do you see the field of general surgery in the next five to 10 years? Do you see the work changing at all? I think five to 10 years is still a short period. There won't be major changes in the field of, for example, general surgery. Um, Perhaps even further than that, do you, how do you see it changing into the future? I think at some point the robotic surgery will, will take over. My worry is like, you, you know, you would have a, a robot which would adapt to your uh, surgical skills and, and copy them. And then maybe in 25, 30 years, you might have a robot which will be able to do a laparoscopic cholecystectomy or a laparoscopic appendicectomy or even colonic resection. At the moment, yeah, definitely the robot is picking up in some subspecialties. Such as the Da Vinci robot? I think it's the only one available now. Yeah, the Vinci, yeah. the Vinci robot. It, the the uh, uses of, of the robot for the timing is very limited because it's time-consuming, it's expensive, 
and doesn't add much to the laparoscopic operation unless you're operating in, in a very limited small space like the pelvis, for example, when you do an ultra-low colonic or rectal resection or when you're operating very high in the hiatus uh, orifice where you have to have an angulated arms to suture well. But other than, you know, like limited space, laparoscopic surgery is pretty good, you know, and the outcome is, is excellent compared to open surgery. So there has been a big jump between open surgery to laparoscopic surgery. From laparoscopic to robotic, it's still dubious in a lot of places where, whether it's, uh, it's beneficial or not. What's the outpatient aspect of general surgery like? How much of it? How much of your job does it make up? What percentage? And what what, what is it like to do the outpatient work? So well, we have one outpatient session a week, and most of other units would, would be the same one once or twice, one one or two sessions per week. And a session is like an afternoon or a morning. Uh, our unit we have only an afternoon session. Uh, we do see most. Most, most of the patients are like post-operative patients to come for a review post an oper- having an operation. But we do see new patients from time to time. Seeing the post-operative patients is most, again, most of the times I said it's rewarding, but easy, straightforward procedure. Uh, we usually leave it to the junior doctors. Seeing new patients a little bit more challenging. But on, on the other hand, I would expect the final year trainees to see new patients and present them to us, to, to surgeons, to uh, test their ability to you know, examine a patient preparing for an exam. Is there a particular subspecialty that you yourself are interested in or a particular area of general surgery? I like gastrointestinal surgery in general rather than you know, like breast endocrine or, or other surgeries. Uh, I think in Europe and back in Iraq we didn't have like upper gastrointestinal surgeons or colorectal surgeons, they were gastrointestinal surgeons doing anything from from the esophagus down to the rectum. Here, I like that, but this concept is not available here in Australia or UK or the States. Uh, so choosing between the two ends, colorectal surgery is, is easy and straightforward compared to decision making to other surgeries. But again, it's very competitive. Uh, on the other hand, upper GI surgery is, is is interesting, and to get into a subspecialty training in upper GI is is less competitive. So I think I'm going to be doing an upper GI subspecialty for the next couple of years. Wonderful. If there's any doctors you'd like us to interview, or if there's any questions you'd like asked, please shoot us a message. We listen and respond to every single message that comes through. How would you say your work-life balance is at the moment? I think at the moment it's good, you know, more or less I'm, I'm, I'm capable of spending quality time with the family. Again, uh, I want to stress on one point that as a trainee you would have less time to spend with the family. So you should be having uh, an understanding wife, spouse uh, and children. I have four children and I passed through the exam with four children before sitting the exam. I took them to a very good vacation uh, overseas and and had a chat to them. Um, So at that time we had three children. My son was nine and my daughter was eight. And the youngest one, the daughter was uh, a year old. 
So I said, you know, look, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm having a big exam. I'm having a big challenge ahead of me. Uh, I want your help through, you know, I might not be able to take you out and about that frequently for the next year and a half. Uh, so we could, you know, like help each other and, and I would get through with, with one trial. Or we, you know, you guys could, st- you know, like could keep annoying me and I, it might take me another couple of years to finish the exam. And actually, you know, like at that time, also my wife was really supportive of, of that chat and I got through the exam from my first attempt. And I think definitely without the help of, of your uh, partner and family and children, it's very difficult to run through such an exam or such. Any, I think any training in general, not, not specifically ter- surgical training or surgical exams at the moment. This year, I took this year to slow down a little bit. I could have gone into subspecialty training uh, and started an upper GI training last year or corrector training last year, but I, I decided to uh, slow down a little bit and spend more time with the family, catching up with, with, with the children and help the wife, you know, to give, get more free time and uh, rejuvenate mm-hmm. before I get into subspecialty training next year. As, as a fellow, as I said, you will be busier than, well, as uh, you would be less busy than, than a registrar, but uh, yeah. How was having that conversation with your kids? Were they understand? Did they understand, I guess, the gravity of what task you were about to undertake? I think they do, yes, definitely. Yeah, I mean, uh, they have seen me through, through the stressful time of... Yeah, I mean, they, they've, they've seen me studying, they've seen me going through some of, uh, some of my exams. And they they have seen me getting stressed and you know like preparing for the exam, so yeah that that discussion with them yeah they were eight and nine years old but they definitely grasped the idea that you know I needed some uh, some help actually from my children to get through the exam. I think that was that was good. And what did that mean for them? Did that mean that you weren't able to be like you know like you say taking them to like soccer practice and things like that? Yeah, I mean, that meant that uh, I might not be able to attend their, uh, you know, their functions at school. I might not be able to take them and pick them from their friends' birthdays, parties, or, you know, like even come and see them in the evening. You know, at times you would you would finish, as I said, as a registrar, you would finish by seven, six or seven, and still are committed to go and do a study group for a couple of hours by the time that you're home. They are in their beds. Yeah. And the next day you you go before they even wake up, so you might not see them for two three days. So for them to understand that, you know, you should give them at least some some idea of what they're gonna go through. Uh, yeah, and 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 at the same time, spend some quality time every now and then with them. So every every like two three weeks, I would have a weekend off, and spend a quality time with them rather than yeah. And now you get to I guess. Definitely now is much time yeah it. now now is much much better in terms of uh, yeah balance. So besides, I guess family, do you have any other interests outside of medicine, and how do you fit them into your life? Uh, I like charity work, so I do a a bit of fundraising every now and then for the disasters happening in the Middle East, for example, and I do sports. You know, I do soccer. I tend to go with my son to soccer training and soccer matches. So he would be with the junior, and I would be with the senior teams. Um, that's it, you know. Like before finishing my fellowship, I had some of other interests or thoughts that I, w- I would be doing, but again, I couldn't fit them in, into mm-hmm. my routine. 
Did you have to sacrifice some of these uh, interests during your training, during that, especially during that one and a half year period? Yes. Uh, for example, like I used to play tennis before the surgical training. Couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Replaced with table tennis at, at the hospital. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you would need to change it. But you, you, look, you, you could accommodate. Mm-hmm. You could accommodate during the sure. training years. And how much of your time is spent uh, doing like on-call work and weekend work? I would imagine as a general surgical uh, registrar and fellow that there would be a lot of on-call um, patients suddenly coming in for traumatic, with traumatic injuries and whatnot. Yeah, well, as a fellow, uh, I do some on-calls. I do it like once a week. Um, I'm on-calls for Wednesdays most of the times. And weekends you would do once every three months or so, so it's not, not that frequent. As a registrar, you would do one one on call for uh, like one or two, as I said, one one or, one or two uh, days in a week, and one or two weekends in a month. Uh, most of the hospitals now they have they have night registrars, so you don't need to spend the night in the hospital anymore. When you go to a peripheral place or a remote place, you would be on call for twenty four hours, mm-hmm. and if you have a trauma or, or like an emergency case, you will be called in the middle of the night. Everybody knows that, you know, like nowadays after extensive research that operating in the middle of the night carries higher risks of, uh, of complications compared to operating during daytime. Mm-hmm. So everybody's trying to avoid operating during nighttime if you can. But if you can't, for example, a trauma or a ruptured viscous, then you have to you come have to do that's it. an yeah. emergency. Would you say that your work hours are relatively predictable or do you go some weeks working, I guess, like 40, 60 hours and other weeks suddenly up to 80? Uh, it's unpredictable, definitely. Unpredictable. Yeah, yeah. For, for us working in, a, in an acute general surgical unit based on emergency admissions, it's, it's difficult to predict it. We know how many patients we're going to have per month, but you would have a dry week and you would have you know, like when, when it rains, it pours, uh, like they say, you know, when, when you have uh, a busy week, you would have lots of patients. Mm-hmm. How does that affect your life in general, having an unpredictable work hour? Well, I mean, you have to be ready to adapt. You have mm-hmm. to be flexible. Again, as a surgeon, you would be faced with, with, with funny or unexpected things, even inside theater. When you operate on a patient taking an appendix and you find that they have a, a tumor in their cecum, you have to adapt to that fact, you know? And again, like in, 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 in terms of admissions, you have to get used to it. It's not that difficult, basically. Yeah. Did you have any mentors going through your uh, junior years? Definitely, yeah, definitely. You would, you would, you would have... Um, mentors, helpers, you would have uh, a model, role models to, to look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely at the Austin, where I used to work, there are a couple of, of surgeons that, that were really inspiring. Mm-hmm. You know, more of, more of like their attitude, you know. I think surgical skills can be acquired, you know, this is something that by time you would acquire it. There are like 5 or 10% of, of surgeons are skilled and, you know, like they get born with these skills. A majority of, of the surgeons are, are like having the acquired skills. That doesn't usually impress the training. It's the attitude mm-hmm. of that surgeon towards their patients, towards their staff, like nursing staff or junior doctors, which would really like you know open an eye for you. What kind of people would be suited to do general surgery? Um, as opposed to either other types of surgery or medicine, uh, uh, physicians training? 
or if it uh, if it's a little bit easier, who shouldn't be doing general surgery? I don't think there's a blanket rule to mm-hmm. say that you know who should do and who shouldn't do general yeah. surgery. It's what what people would be enjoy doing, you know. Like if you uh, if you're a type of person who would be you know like uh, ready to deal with surprises and emergency, and you enjoy the manual work, that would you know be in your favor to do surgery. If you don't have them, that doesn't mean that you can't do surgery mm-hmm. or you should avoid doing surgery. You might still enjoy it, you know. Mm-hmm. Just give it a go. Mm-hmm. And is there any a piece of advice that you would have wanted to have known in your junior years, such as in your internship, something that would have helped you along or made life a little bit easier? Because I guess it's a, it's a big year for, um, uh, for junior doctors, your first year. You're often finding your feet for half of the year. Yeah. And if you, for example, get thrown into a surgical training as your first, uh, sorry, sorry, a surgical rotation as your first rotation, it can be really difficult to adapt because of the fast-paced yeah. nature and the yeah. fact that your registrar isn't necessarily always yeah. with you. So, yeah, okay, here's a piece of advice. I think if uh, if you get thrown into a surgical rotation which you would expect difficult, again, don't generalize that, you know, like if you have a bad experience with, with a specific registrar, that doesn't mean that the whole surgical branch is something that you know is not appealing to you. you don't don't get a wrong idea from a single person's behavior um, just keep in mind that every single rotation in the beginning is difficult and the internship in general in the first few months is difficult for everybody it's a fact that in hospitals that in in february the mortality and the morbidity rate will go up because everybody's like new in the place you know uh, this is a fact, you know, that's not not you as a new intern. So every single new intern in any new rotation will feel a bit weird. Uh, so yeah, don't, don't be afraid of that feeling and don't get put off. How do you think we should combat that? Combat the rise in mortality? Is it just about speaking about it so that it's more in the open and less taboo or... It's not. I think it's 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 op- been openly spoken about in in specifically in intensive care statistics. If you go to any intensive care and ask about them, the number of med calls or code blues that they have, you will see a very clear cut higher true code blues and med calls in the beginning of the year compared to other. Well, it's 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 a matter. It's it's a fact. You know, like you know, like this is training. You know, you can't have a medical student knowing to do everything by the first month of their internship year so the advice would be uh, don't get put off ask for help whenever you need it you need you need help and definitely you know like uh, having a chat to other doctors or other interns about a specific problem would, would would help wonderful yeah and last question what's the next step for you where are you going next so next year I'll still be in, in here at the same place in, in Box Hill Hospital. I will be doing an upper GI fellowship year. And after finishing my next year, it will, it will all depend on, on jobs opportunity, whether I would find a job within the city. If I can't find a job within the city, I might need to do another fellowship year in, in upper GI subspecialty to get more, more experience under my wings before, you know, like finding a job. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your help. That's alright. Pleasure. Pleasure. Finally, please make sure to complete the survey for this episode. We want to make sure the episodes are as useful as possible, and the surveys help us to monitor whether they're making an impact on our fellow peers. It only takes 30 seconds and it helps more than you can imagine.
The link can be found on our Facebook and our blog. That's it from us. See you in the next episode.